This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. Matt, today we've got one of the most action-packed episodes we've had in a very long time. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. We've got a new segment. Yeah. We've got tons of guests. Plural. We've got more than one guest. Yeah. More than one segment. We're breaking the mold. It's This is actually, if you're going to listen to one episode this week of all the podcasts you listen to <laughs> listen to this yeah. episode because it's great it's great we've been uh, a lot of people have been out enjoying the sun we've been inside yeah we've been focused on this podcast eating, yeah eating chips uh sitting in the shade yeah we're unhealthy but we're we're and it brimming shows. it we're, shows we're brimming with ideas for this we are podcast. we are and i'm really excited for this latest episode we've got michael ferreira he is the managing principal of urban analytics yeah, And Matt, tell us a little bit about Urban Analytics. Well, a lot of our listeners are probably going to know Michael Ferreira and right. probably going to know Urban Analytics, but it's a real estate research firm. And basically what Urban Analytics does is consults with all the largest developers here in the Lower Mainland. So Boza, Intracorp, Concord Pacific, to name a few of the, of the right. big players that go to Michael and they're asking him, you know, what's the market doing and where is it going? Show us the numbers. So it's phenomenal that we have him on. And, he, uh, he works with all the big developers and Michael and his team, they're also, they present at UDI every year. Yeah. Um, they do quarterly reports on the market. Like this is the guy to talk to, right? Yeah. I'm, and, I'm and, super and, excited. You know, we were asking him, you know, what are our developers bullish on the market? 
what kind of investments Where's the best are you investment? in? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And this is it. And so it's a super interesting interview. We both left the interview saying, wow, that like, I'm glad we captured everything. We had a lot of, a lot of great, he had a lot of great answers. Yeah. Um, we covered a lot of ground, so that's going to be fantastic. But before we get to that, Matt, yeah, before we, we, we get we to that, we have a new segment and, and this will take some explaining. John Loomer, who we just had on, you know, former guest, John Loomer, former guest, I guess he got, he had a lot of fun, a lot of positive feedback. He's asking us, Hey, can I, you know, I want to get back on the podcast. He was on the round table, right? Exactly. And he'll be back on the round table. Uh, He's going to be a well. recurring guest on the round table. That's for sure. Fair enough. But he, he was like, Hey, he wanted I, more. Wasn't I? enough. Yeah. He's like, can this be the Adam and Matt and John show? And right. uh, you know, it's a little late, John, but he pitched uh, he pitched an idea yeah. for a segment. It, it was so, all right. So. It was all right. It was an idea that we had thought of. He wanted to get out and talk to the general public about real estate, right? Yeah. Just in general, asking questions. And we weren't that excited about it until yeah. yeah I mean, he came, he he sweetened the deal. A friend of a friend of a friend, I think. Yeah, knows Seth Rogen, who's from very Vancouver. famous. Lives in Yale Town, a couple blocks from our office. We're huge fans of Seth Rogen yeah, too, so that was super exciting. Yeah, and so John said, "Look, I think I can get Seth Rogen to walk around with me and ask people about Vancouver real estate, which is an insane concept. And the yeah. fact that it's happening here, I know. I, like, know. I can't even. I'm just. I, I can't contain myself. Brady, no more coffee for these guys. Let's yeah. just get right to John's new segment: John, Seth, and the Hoi Polloi. Enjoy it, guys." For the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, this is John, Seth, and the Hoi Polloi. Today we're talking to people in Yaletown and asking for their perspectives on Vancouver real estate. Seth is running a bit late, but I'm told he'll be with us shortly. Would it be okay if I said a few words about real estate in Vancouver and just got your reaction, gut reaction, just uh, an initial whatever pops into your head, you're allowed to swear. You just can't say the word pistachio, okay? So the first word is realtor. Po- positive association or negative association? I'll, I'll go, well, you could take it either way. I'll go with uh, a moneymaker for sure. Moneymaker, I like that. Okay, the first word is realtor. Scum. Scum, thank you for a strong answer. You have offended me and my family. You won't be offered a chance to win a Maserati. Realtor, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Rich. Ooh. And what about uh, landlord? Uh, rich. Christy Clark. Ah, oh, negative. Negative, negative. <laughs> How about Christy Clark? Ah. Uh, that said it all. Yeah. That said it all. Don't worry about it. That's fine. Why do you think real estate values have gone up so much in Vancouver over the last few years? About 50% uh, in the last three years. What do you think the reason is? Well, I think the reason is foreign investment. And it's as simple as that, without any control. What do you think about the foreign buyer tax? Oh, well, it's, it's a step in the right direction, isn't it? How about foreign buyer tax? You know what? There's a lot of them. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay, last word. Uh, foreign buyer tax. Step in the right direction. And would you rather be apartment hunting or having a root canal? Root canal? Ooh, I think the root canal's a lot cheaper, yeah. Oh, probably having a root canal. Probably a root canal. Probably a root canal for me, too. Uh, Probably a root canal. Probably a root canal. That's uh, unanimous so far, a root canal all around. (laughs) 
<laughs> probably having a root canal. I don't know. Uh, probably find ways to rent. Oh, ding, ding, ding. You're the only person. Very optimistic. Why is Vancouver the best city in the world? Uh, I don't know that it is. Uh, it's a nice city right now. You could cut that, cut yeah, that part. <laughs> We're going to cut that out. Never mind. Yeah. Okay, why is Vancouver the best city in the world, Joe? Well, I would say it's one of the best cities. There's a lot of beautiful... Not the question, Joe. That's not oh, the question. Okay. Why do you think Vancouver is the best city in the world? Uh, like I said before, it's beautiful. We've got a lot of natural resources, a lot of forest. We've got the ocean, we've got the mountains, we've got the cleanest rivers around. I don't know. It's very multicultural. Lots of artwork, lots of music. How does it get much better than that? I have one more question for you. It's a multiple offer, investor tester question. Um, so what I'm going to present to you is a scenario. You bought a townhome uh, five years ago in one of these markets. I'm going to give you four markets, and you tell me in which market did your townhome do the best, or where would you have wished you bought the townhome? So is it Maple Ridge, uh, Richmond, Squamish, or Vancouver West? In which of those four markets would a, buying a townhome five years ago you want to sell today? I want to go Richmond. I'll go with Maple Ridge. Vancouver West. Yeah, Vancouver West. Richmond. Richmond is a great guess, but it's the wrong guess. I would have to say the Vancouver West side. That, that is the answer that we're getting the most often today. It's actually Squamish. So every one of those areas, you'd have about a 55% appreciation, which is off the charts. And Squamish somehow did 120% appreciation in five years for townhomes. I don't know if I'd want to go to Squamish every day to go to work. Yeah, somebody, Somebody's up there. I don't know who. Awesome interviews today in Yale Town. Everyone was extremely friendly uh, and very helpful in answering our questions. Uh, Seth, unfortunately, uh, has not showed up. Uh, he's not answering his text messages. I uh, will figure out what the story is, and I'm sure he'll be with us next time for John, Seth, and the Hoi Polloi uh, on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Thanks so much, and back to you, Matt and Adam. Huh. Yeah, disappointing. I can't disappointing. believe Seth didn't show up. I mean, I, I thought the segment was pretty good. Uh, John yeah. did a great job on the segment. No, John, but, uh, yeah. Well, let's hope, let's hope uh, next week uh, John produces. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't believe Seth wouldn't even return his text. Yeah. Yeah, huh. I thought they were tight. Uh, moving on, Matt. We, uh, we have Michael, Michael Ferreira. Ferreira. So uh, why don't we just, you know what? Let's just this, cut to that. Hey, well, we apologize about that whole Seth mix-up, but this one's worth sticking around He'll for. He'll be back next segment. I'm, I'm confident. Yeah. All Enjoy, right. guys. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Michael Ferreira, Managing Principal at Urban Analytics. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing very well. So thanks a lot for coming on. Can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Previously, in my first career, I was a frustrated radio DJ. And, uh, so you're right at home. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, but realized fairly quickly that that wasn't going to, to help me get into the real estate market based on the salaries that they paid in that industry. So decided to go back to school and look at the real estate industry. Started out in, in project marketing uh, with a company here called Millbourne Real Estate Corp., which is no longer here in that form, but is certainly still very active in Toronto. And then through that, uh, found myself attracted more to the uh, the data side of the industry, and and uh, 
started working with uh, a young lady that I had worked with at uh, at Millbourne Real Estate Corp, uh, who had started Urban Analytics and uh, then purchased the company from her and and have worked at it and grown it uh, from that point. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Urban Analytics, what the what the purpose is? Absolutely. So Urban Analytics is a, a firm that focuses uh, entirely on the new multifamily home sector of uh, of the real estate market here in Metro Vancouver. We're also in Calgary and in in Edmonton, Alberta. So and by new multifamily sector, it's it's basically any new condominium or townhome project that's being marketed or contemplated going through the planning process uh, anywhere in Metro Vancouver, from Abbotsford to the east, all the way to Squamish to the uh, uh, to the north, and all points in between. And uh, in terms of the the tracking of that information, we're visiting all of the new sales centers for townhome and condo projects that are being marketed throughout. The markets that we're in, we're tracking all the new developments that are going through the planning process. And then we also most recently, because nobody else was doing it and it was becoming a, a more prominent part of our market here, we started tracking the new purpose-built rental apartment market in Vancouver as well. So uh, we're now tracking that here and in Calgary and, and soon enough in Edmonton as well. So Adam and I started the podcast about a year and a half ago. And one of the reasons we did was the media often, like every day, you know, there's 10, 15, 20 articles about the market here. And we decided we'd add an, another voice, but a voice of two realtors who are on the ground. I, just as a general question, are, do you find the media coverage about real estate frustrating? In a lot of ways, yes. But in in, uh, in many ways, I don't necessarily blame them simply because of the, you know, the, the budget uh, constraints that that whole industry is under sure. these days. I I feel with very few exceptions, uh, there's there's not nearly enough research done by the journalists themselves. Uh, there's not you know true journalism being done on the real estate market too often, and that was uh, was why I came up with uh, decided to write the the op-ed piece on the myth busting was that too often we see journalists who are writing stories based on opinions of of various people in the in the market not necessarily based on fact. They, they don't ask that next question of, well, what are you basing your opinion on? And are, is there any, any stats or metrics that back up what your opinion is stating? And so they're just quoting people who have an ax to grind in, in many cases. And you know the, the stories aren't based on real fact. Yes, they get readers, they get clicks online, and they create a lot of hysteria in the market unnecessarily, I think. Uh, and that's where the frustration, you know, grows on our part because we see the stats, we're collecting the data, and we're putting it together, and and seeing the metrics that are impacting the market. Well, that's actually a, a fantastic segue because that's one of the reasons we asked you to come on, Michael. Was you had an article that you published, a piece in uh, Business Vancouver, called "Myth Busting Needed in the Vancouver Condominium Market," and you had four kind of key myths that you that you bust. And we were curious to hear what those are and kind of have those unpacked a little bit. Yeah, um, one of the biggest things that we hear that that is probably the most frustrating is that we don't have enough supply, that the market is so strong, it doesn't matter how much supply you add to the market, it's just going to get absorbed, Right. which really doesn't make any sense. You know, it's it's almost like saying, well, there's no sense in, in uh, if you're selling out of apples, um, there's no sense in in producing more apples because they're just going to sell. Well, if people are wanting and needing to buy apples, you might as well start growing more apples and and uh, and allowing people to to consume them. So with the supply issue, clearly we've had a tremendous increase in in demand 
And let's put aside for now where that demand is coming from, because that's one of the other myths that, uh, that I addressed. So when we have a lot of demand in the marketplace, why are we constraining supply, which is essentially what, uh, what we've been doing in the market through either long approvals processes, you know, way too long to get uh, building permit applications, even after a development permit is approved or a rezoning is approved, it's taking developers way too long to get the the product actually built. Because, you know, even if it is some investors who are are, are purchasing some of these pre-sale condos, eventually they're going to want to sell them. And and we're seeing a shortage, I think, even on the multifamily side on the resale market, which is driving prices up up there as well. So on the supply issue and and where you know, I, I don't always like to talk about supply just for the sake of supply. I think it doesn't do the market any good when you have one developer who has a massive master plan community and he's providing, or that firm is providing most of the supply in a marketplace. You know, if you take something like the Brentwood Town Center or, mm-hmm. or the Lowheat Town Center or Oak Ridge Mall, that's, uh, you know, that development that's being proposed, it doesn't really do the market any good when you've got a small number of developers controlling the, the inventory in the market. I think what we really need to see is increased competition in the market through more developments being approved more quickly so that buyers have a choice. And, we, and we've seen it multiple times over the years where you see you know five or six projects released into a market within a short period of time, two or three months, for instance, and all of a sudden the urgency uh, leaves the market. Buyers feel like they have a choice. They can go from project to project and compare. And then you see prices level off and in some cases even drop. And, and I think one of the more, the better, more recent examples we've seen of this was in Richmond in, um, I think, 2014, where uh, we had four or five projects get launched into a market in a six-week period. And prices there went from about $600 per square foot uh, down to about $535 per square foot within you know, seven or eight months. You know, since that time that product got absorbed, you know, we now see a, a constraint, maybe only one or two projects on the market at any given time. They come on, they get absorbed, you know, the next project comes on and and the price is higher than than the last project was. So so it's supply and competition. I think we need to approve more projects more quickly. That this so you cite uh, development out in Berquitlam and I I'm pretty sure you're talking about the Clark and Como development, Correct. but that speaks to that, right? That that launch was you know, it was the only game in town. The hype machine around that project was quite well done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it created this buzz where you know the the price per square foot was very high. The demand was insatiable. People were you know falling all over each other to get it. Yeah. And it, I guess that speaks to your point, right? That if there was more than you know, yeah. everybody's kind of holding off. It's like one project is absorbed, then there's another launch, mm-hmm. then another, as opposed to kind of having a that yeah. choice you're talking about. And, and I would argue that the marketing around that project was no different than it would have been mm-hmm. if there were other projects on the market. So it seems like it was hyped because it was the only project that was that was marketing or pre-marketing right, right. at the time that it came and out. And realtors were hyping it too because it was the only, you know, if you have people looking for pre-sale, like we were, we were talking to a lot of people at that time that were interested in pre-sale and it was kind of built on itself. I well, guess. And, and that's something that doesn't get talked about and something that we're seeing more of because there's such a constraint of supply, even on the resale market that, you know, realtors have to make a living and they make a living either by selling uh, real estate or by helping buyers purchase it. When there aren't many listings on the market, obviously you're not able to sell as many 
as many units as you were before. And likewise, you're not able to sell your purchasers into a unit that's listed either. So, so they're then looking at, uh, at the presale market. And, you know, when you only have, for instance, that, that project in Berquitlam, I think that was the first project in three or four months mm-hmm. that had been launched in that neighborhood. I think the previous one might've been Bose's uh, Low Heat Heights project that had been released uh, three months earlier. So when you have that much time in between these significant project launches, it just builds that that urgency and that pent up demand. And we're seeing that all over where, you know, we see it in, in Metro town, we see it in Brentwood, we see it in, in downtown Vancouver, every mm-hmm. market that we're in, even in, in the, uh, in the suburban markets, uh, we're seeing that, that level of pent up demand just get built up. And then when a project gets launched, it gets absorbed right away. And it makes sense. Cause even what we noticed with, uh, Clark and Como is that it was investors that weren't necessarily focused on Berquitlam. They were focused all over. They were just wanting new product, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it, it created this demand that was just kind of all around Greater Vancouver, all in one project. Right? Yeah. Maybe uh, myth number two, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the government intervention on the demand side. Um, so, you know, this obviously harkens back to a year ago when we saw the, uh, the foreign buyer's tax introduced uh, with very little consultation with anybody, it seems. And, and also with, uh, came from some of the chatter that we heard during the provincial election about uh, needing to double that, that 15% tax. Right. And again, I think there's this fixation from those who are frustrated about what's happening in the market. And, and you know, we're not a developer. Obviously, many of our clients are developers, so we're in touch with them on a fairly regular basis. But, you know, there's not a lot of comfort in what's going on in the market today. Nobody really likes the the price escalation and the pace of price escalation that's going up. Obviously, you know, they're 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 making their profits and taking them as they can because mm-hmm. because the market is allowing them to. That's the kind of economy we have. But at the same time, I think everybody remembers that it wasn't that long ago that we were in a situation where demand sort of got switched off pretty quickly back in the 2008 and 2009. So, you know, we know generally as an industry that this level of price escalation at the pace it's been going is not necessarily sustainable. And at some point there has to be a correction, you know, when that occurs and, and by how much nobody knows, but, you know, considering how much it's gone up, even if it comes down by 25%, we're still ahead of where we were five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. But with respect to the, you know, government intervention into the market, you know, yeah, I think there could be some policies that could be introduced. I don't think the foreign buyers tax was the the right way to go because as we can see, it's had very little impact and, and we predicted that it would have a short-term impact, but long-term we would be right back to where we were uh, before it was introduced, which we are. You know, I think some sort of a speculation tax might've been more in line with what would have, you know, uh, introduced a, a policy that wouldn't be targeting one specific buyer group, which is what that tax did. And, uh, you know, my other point with respect to answering that myth is that, you know, sure, fine, you know, bring in some policies if you think it's going to, to work on the demand side, but let's not forget about the supply side, because a big part of the problem that we're having is that we have seen a massive increase in demand, but we haven't addressed the supply side to meet even a fraction of that demand that exists in the marketplace. So I think, you know, whether it's at the, the provincial government level, the federal, or even the municipal, I think, you know, all those different levels of government need to get together to try and figure out how to, uh, how to solve the supply uh, issue as well. You mentioned demand can be shut off at any time. Is the current sort of seeming insatiable demand 
artificial in a way or or do you think that it's actually i mean we work with a lot of investors artificial is maybe not the right word but is it building kind of on itself in sort of a bubble like uh, situation or do you see this as kind of when when i start to get concerned on that front is when i start to see a lot of assignment listings in the market mm -hmm. so uh people who have bought a pre-sale unit and are just buying it strictly with the intent of of uh, assigning it or flipping it before the unit even completes in 06 and 07 when the market was pretty frenzied back then we saw a lot of you know real estate websites that were targeting specifically assigners or flippers so and when we see you know a huge prevalence of that that's when i start to get get concerned but certainly it is it is a bit of a vicious cycle because you you have that urgency in the market where you have you know buyers who want to buy you have realtors who have buyers that that want to purchase and they're trying to satisfy their clients because they know if they can't get them product that you know they're going to go somewhere else so they're hungry for for deals as well so you counter that with the fact that we're only seeing a, a trickle of supply come onto the market at any given time and that product just gets absorbed so if one development gets absorbed it, within a short period of time you know Clark and Como is a perfect example i think they had I think 1500 suite requests and that wasn't just registrations those are people who have indicated we want a suite and mm -hmm. they've written uh you know they've signed a document that says you know these are the suites that we want and they only had 360 units or, or whatever it was well there's all of a sudden 1200 people or 1100 you know prospective buyers that didn't get a unit so how many more projects are going to have to come onto the market to satisfy just that demand mm -hmm. right so and then if you're waiting another you know three or four months until the next project comes out in that neighborhood does that 1100 build back up to 2000 so you can see where the demand increases and and if there's that much demand obviously you know the pressure on pricing is just going to continue to increase to a point where it, you know eventually the market will say no that you know no longer makes sense i mean it barely makes sense at this point in my mind <laughs> but if people are, are willing and able to 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 pay these prices that's you know i can't but uh so obviously there's a lot of people out there who can't so so just to touch on that um the idea that when you see a lot of assignments happening it starts to create pause what about right now in our current climate we we do see a lot of websites popping up with assignment sales we're seeing a lot of uh, craigslist ads for assignments um, it seems to be kind of filling a, a, a new gap for new construction. Are, does that cause you concern or are you thinking that we're still within reasonable balance here? Yeah, it's it's when you have people who, like as long as those people who are assigning the units can, you know, if, if they didn't have somebody come and purchase that that paper, they can complete. that they can complete. Right. I think what was happening in 06, 07 that, that uh, really impacted the market was you were having people who, you know, had no no willingness or ability to mm -hmm. complete on a unit they were buying strictly with the intent to to assign it right. without any ability to close on it if they had to and and that's where where the market got into a little bit of trouble i i can't say that i've seen that happening to date but you know if we do start to just and you hear the chatter within the market and i haven't heard the same level of chatter that that we were hearing in 06 07 about that well guys like um and we have tom david off the ubc prof on all the time and He's mentioned this and and a couple other people are are talking about foreign buyers buying pre-sales to flip before they complete in order not to pay the tax. And maybe I shouldn't say Tom specifically, but it seems like some people are thinking that's a huge driving force, which seems like a 
I've seen no signs of it. And this speaks to your third myth, mm-hmm. but it also seems like pretty risky, uh, a risky investment strategy, right? Yeah. One of your myths is about foreign buyers. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. You know, we, and like, let's not be naive. There's obviously a lot of, of foreign capital that's been moved into the, right. the market here and, is, sure. and it has, and it's impacted the market. There's no question, but by the same token, we've for decades have been, you know, putting ourselves out into the, the global marketplace and asking people to come and invest in in our city, whether from a you know commercial or, or or job producing perspective, or even from from residential, our perception of the foreign capital that's coming here is it's it's coming here uh, in search of a safe haven. So it's not that they're coming in to make a quick buck. Obviously, any capital that's that's being invested, the the ultimate goal is to is to make a return from that capital. But what we've generally seen is, is you know, from foreign purchasers or even uh, people who've immigrated here that are now here and have brought money with them, that the goal is is primarily to to you know get their money from where it came from because they don't feel it's just a secure place to leave it and bring it into a, a safer haven, a, a place that's safer for their capital to to sit. So uh, generally, even if they are. Uh, a foreign buyer who's who's investing in the market here, they're not doing it with the the purpose of of just flipping it prior to the completion of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's be real. You know, fifteen the fifteen percent foreign buyers tax, as I said when when it was first introduced, it essentially means that they lost fifteen percent of the currency advantage that they had uh, prior to the tax being brought in. Um, you know, I know it's the the, the currency because it's. Uh, the Chinese currency is tied to the American currency, so you know they've lost a little bit over the last uh, last little while. But you know they've still got a twenty percent advantage. You know our, our real estate here, based with if they're buying it with their money, is twenty percent cheaper than what it would be if if they were buying it with Canadian money. And, and you know what, this just makes me think. I, we had in one of our listings, I was at an open house on Saturday, and a guy from Hong Kong with three kids and his wife. You know they spent six weeks here every summer. He bought a property two years ago. He didn't buy a property this year. He's buying another one he's paying the 15% mm-hmm. and his comment to me was like, we're gifting these, these are for our kids. Yeah. So he's like, you know, we're thinking a 30 year plan here. We're not talking about the next three to five years right. and the 15% clearly doesn't matter to him. Yeah. You know? so, and, and as frustrating as it is for, for us who've, you know, grown up here and obviously, you know, I've got two kids that, you know, within 10 years will be looking at, at getting into the real estate market as well. And, right. and, you know, at this point, you know, good luck, kids. Uh, <laughs> you know? So you know, and, and and it is frustrating, and 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 I, you know, sympathize with those people as I'm going to sympathize with my kids when it comes time for them to look into the market. Um, but you know, there is a cultural difference in in how people invest their money uh, from different places in the world. For uh, for a lot of the the foreign investors who are moving into Canada. It's it's investing in real estate. You know they don't necessarily invest into the stock market or trust the stock market as much as as many people do here. So you know when they invest, they invest in the real estate market. It's something tangible that they can see and touch. And as you mentioned and alluded to, it's uh, they're not necessarily always just buying for themselves. They buy for their kids because they see that as an investment in in their future. So. Right. And the last myth is more about the sales process, right, Michael? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is one of the ones that, that was uh, most bothersome to me, I think, from some of the recent media stories that we've seen, 
where there's this perception being put out there that developers are are marketing directly to people offshore. You know, there's there's one or two developers that that do that from here, and it's largely because they have a, a bricks and mortar sales office uh, offshore. It's it's where the firm is based in one case, but in most cases, I think you know the the ads that we saw that were being put out there in various blogs and such were not ads that were produced and paid for by developers. Mm -hmm. They were realtors, just like realtors do here, where you'll see pre-sale websites where realtors will will you know peel off graphics and and promotional material for a certain project, put it on their own website and try to attract buyers that they can then take to the project. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens offshore, where there's offshore realtors or even realtors from here who are marketing directly offshore. They peel the the collateral material from a developer's <laughs> website and and put it on their own website to to then market the project and try to attract buyers that they can then introduce to to a project here. So uh, again, in in all but maybe one or two cases, there's two developers that we know of that actively market offshore. And you know where I always come back to is when we have as strong a market as we do domestically right now, why would you need to go and, and spend the, the money to to market offshore? Because it's incredibly expensive to try and do that. So it would be a waste of you're throwing your money away when you can just you know market locally. And and I know developers with as as fast as their projects are selling their marketing budgets have shrunk to to almost nothing so you know before if you have your typical campaign where you're pre-marketing uh, prior to the launch and then you get through the launch you still have half the project left to sell you're into tempo mode and you're still you know you're carrying out a marketing budget over the next two years while the project is under construction whereas that's not happening these days so michael so urban analytics obviously collects a lot of data about the market do you have any uh, stats that might be helpful for our listeners for just kind of understanding the market in general or anything that you'd like to share? Um, well, just in, again, maybe going back to the the final myth, and, and I know this is a frustration for a lot of buyers because once they register, they feel they're they're in and they're going to have an opportunity right. to go and look at a project. And in a in a typical normal market, one that we're seeing in Calgary, where we're we're active as well, that's what happens. And, and you do have time to get a call from from the developer or the marketing company and you get to go and look at the project and and check it out. Here, there's so much demand that even if you do register, there's no guarantee that you're gonna get a call prior to the project being sold out. So if you are in the market for a new condominium, what I would suggest to, to buyers today is obviously know the price point that you can afford. Do some research to determine you know where you can afford the, the type of product that you want to buy. And then have a look at what projects are are coming up in the marketplace. And there's you know many sources on that. As soon as you you know you, as soon as you click on a real estate ad on Facebook these days, you're inundated with with uh, any number of uh, of ads based on all the algorithms and such that they use. So get the condo guide, you know whatever advertising, or uh, and you guys will like this. Have a realtor work with you, who will know, know a couple good ones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who will know what's going on in the market and make sure they are up to speed on on what is happening in the market and more importantly what's coming up you know ask them if they have relationships with developers because that's a key thing developers will you know try to work with as many different realtors as possible but but they'll work with the realtors that have performed for them in the past in terms mm -hmm. of bringing a buyer who you know can write a contract and and carry through with the contract to completion 
So, um, so they'll work with, with the proven realtors on that front. If you're wanting to do it on your own, what I suggest is, is contact the developer directly. Like don't even go through the marketing company, just contact the developer and become that squeaky wheel. They might direct you to the marketing company, but if you continue to call both the marketing company and the developer, eventually you're, you know, they're going to want to get you to stop calling and, and, uh, and sell you a unit. So we're going to have to edit that and just say, contact your realtor. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, it is persistence. And even, you know, even if you do have a realtor, make sure that you're on them and making sure that they're contacting that developer to be the squeaky wheel on your behalf. I agree a hundred percent. I think squeaky wheel gets the grease in, yeah. real, in real estate for sure. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. Um, yeah. Okay, so Michael, so we've had this question a lot from listeners. Um, price per square foot seems to vary from project to project. Sometimes it, it doesn't make any sense at all, and then a project sells out very quickly. Mm. Can you give us any insight into how developers come up with price per square foot? It obviously starts initially from you know when they're buying a, a property, a development property. They'll look at what's going on in the in the general vicinity of that property. They'll do what's called a pro forma statement, where they put all you know what it's going to cost to build, and you know what the property costs them, and plug in you know what their desired margin is. And and this is again a, a misconception that that I think a lot of people have in the market, where you know they feel that you know developers will plug in you know a 50 75% profit margin in their projects. And yes, when times are good as they are now, many of them are making some some very good profit margins, but initially the goal is is generally 15% and and that's the number they typically plug in is kind of 15 to 20% profit margin, but in most cases in a more typical market, you know, it wasn't that long ago like, you know, 2011, 2012 where a lot of developments were coming out with with single digit profit margins. And you know, yes, that's still a lot of money in in the scope of of you know the value of of a project. However, when you consider the risk that's involved in these developments, and I think that's something that often gets overlooked, sure, is that um, you know the risk that that developers are taking not only when they purchase a site, you know they're they're buying it on a whim that the market is going to is going to move, especially in today's market where land prices are. They're not buying it based on what product is selling for today. They're buying it based on a wing and a prayer that it's going to continue to move up and they're going to be able to achieve the values that are going to allow them to get a profit. Just on on that point, you know, obviously developers and you work with some of the real large developers mm-hmm. here in the lower mainland and you're the guy they go to, right? Yeah. To to talk about the market. Do you the smart find, ones. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you, but but do you find like I mean the West End is turning over right now quite quickly. Are are developers bullish on on the market right now? Yeah, I mean they're Bullish, yes, in in the sense that it, for for locations that that really make sense. Right. Um, so the downtown peninsula is a very proven market. They know they're not relying just on local buyers there. It's you know as as uh, Bob Rennie has said many times in the past, downtown has become a resort market. So you know, like it or not, mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. And that's you know going back to another myth about a lot of the empty homes that we see. We often hear about Coal Harbor and all the lights that are off in those towers. Well, that's been the case for those towers since they were built and since they were purchased. You know, I, I don't know why this is a new story. Yeah. When when they were first marketed, they were bought by you know a lot of local buyers and also by buyers who use it as a second or third home. So they might only spend a month here. And if you're spending that kind of money, and and you don't need to rent it, you don't need the rental revenue. Why are you going to put it on the rental market, right? So. But by the same token, I, you know, just an anecdotal story, an aside, was out for dinner in downtown on Saturday night and we're walking by one of these 
Cole Harbor Towers. And a couple walked out of their door and we started chatting with them. And they're your prototypical local buyer who downsized a couple that had moved from the North Shore. Their kids were in university. They didn't want the house and the maintenance anymore, wanted to live in a more vibrant neighborhood. So they sold their house on the North Shore and they bought a, a townhome in a Cole Harbor Tower. And, and they love it. They say they've got more friends there than they did in their in their old neighborhood. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's an appeal to that. And, uh, you know, for somebody who's who's lived in, and they're seeing their neighborhoods change, obviously, right? The, the character of their neighborhoods, the demographics in their neighborhoods are changing. It's not what, they, what it was when their kids were all growing up. A lot of their friends are probably selling and moving away. So they're now looking at making that move as well. And, and I think those sorts of locations are what's appealing to them based on what they can sell their single family home for and, and the value increase and the equity increase that they've seen, they can afford the higher prices that that we're seeing in in these appealing neighborhoods like downtown Vancouver. So you speak about downtown, uh, you're running numbers constantly, looking at all the data, talking to developers. We have a lot of investors that listen. Would you buy right now, I guess is one question, and where yeah. and what? Well, it depends what you can buy, yeah. uh, what you can afford, right? So. You know, we did an analysis a couple of weeks ago where we're now seeing that you require essentially 50% down to break even on a condo in Metrotown. So if you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable with just, you know, capital appreciation as opposed to a return on mm-hmm. your uh, on your rental revenue, then, you know, that's a good investment for you. That one doesn't work for me necessarily. Um, <laughs> it's a risky game. It is. It yeah. is indeed. So, I mean, I think that's where, again, you have to look at what your own circumstances are, what your investment goals are. Uh, If you're looking at something to hold, I know a a ton of people, and and again, this is what's driving a lot of the demand, going back to sort of the the vicious cycle that we see on the demand side these days, is is people see these projects uh, selling out quickly, they see prices escalating. So for somebody like myself, who you know, have kids getting close to graduating high school, going to university, and then looking at getting into the market, perhaps, I'm thinking to myself, well, I should get into the market now, mm-hmm. buy a unit, you know, just rent it out. And then when it's time for my kids to get into the market, they can either move into it, they can sell it, use the equity that's been built in it to purchase their yeah. own homes, right? So so there's another side of the demand equation that that I don't think gets talked about a lot. I mean, we hear about uh, about the equity transfer from uh, from the baby boomers to their kids uh, based on the equity that they've seen grow in their own homes. But, you know, in a lot of cases, it's, it's people buying in advance of, of that equity transfer. They're putting the equity into a home now, hoping that equity grows to then pass on to, uh, uh, to, pass on to their kids. So, you know, as far as going back to your question about where, uh, where are the appealing places to invest, we always suggest, you know, looking at transit routes, uh, particularly rapid transit routes. So mm-hmm. if you see locations where maybe transit isn't there now, but perhaps, for instance, with the like rapid transit, line that's that's being proposed and and promised in in surrey perhaps looking at some of those lines i think there are some great values in those markets we're starting to see prices creep up there as well in a in in a market that was sort of the last one to to see any real gains but you know we're even seeing wally or or surrey city center values start to pop up relative to what they are even on the other side of the fraser river so my main point is you know proven neighborhoods obviously Mm -hmm. uh neighborhoods that uh that have shown that they're appealing to a lot of different people or neighborhoods in transition where you can start to see an improvement. You know, you look at, I drive by, you know, Hastings Sunrise every day 
uh, Hastings and Clark area, and you're starting to see some uh, some changes and transformations there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wish I had bought you know four or five units in the in the wall. Uh, the Strathcona uh, Village. Strathcona Village. Village. We project. all do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, you know, because you would have already been three or four hundred dollars uh, per square foot ahead of what you bought it for. Right. But you know, there's a neighborhood, even though it doesn't have rapid transit, it's it's an appealing neighborhood. It's almost like Mount Pleasant 20 years ago in some ways. Right. So, yeah. and look at Mount Pleasant today. If, yeah. you know, don't you wish you had bought a single family home there 20 years ago? So that's, you know, in terms of my advice, I, I can't say, you know, that here's a specific area you should look at or a submarket or a neighborhood uh, because it all it's all different depending on what people's uh, um, ability to, to purchase is, what their purchasing mm-hmm. power is. So I would look at more the factors that, that you think would make a good investment, you know, transit, location, accessibility, quality of neighborhood, quality of schools in the neighborhood, even, and that kind of thing. And and one of the things, you know, we always are pushing single family homes, obviously, even, you know, East Vancouver now, it's kind of one five is the, is the benchmark price. So it's definitely not for everyone, but it, do you find it as curious as we do that uh, single family homes this year have been, you know, relatively like soft. A, a, yeah, relatively <laughs> soft, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I was looking for yeah. as compared to condos. Yeah, I think again, you know, so much of the market is psychological, mm-hmm. and and that's where you know, going back to what I said earlier, that we can see the market get turned off with almost like a, a light switch, and it's often driven by by psychology. Even in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when the market turned, it really had nothing to do with the economy here because mm-hmm. the economy here really was never impacted by the downturn, the, the global economic downturn. It was all psychological as far as, geez, am I going to have a job? tomorrow. Yeah. And and that's what we've seen in Calgary where people really were losing their jobs. We're at a point there now where, you know, people are feeling more secure. We're, they've seen the the jobs starting to come back. You know, the energy sector seems to have stabilized. So they're feeling a little more confident. We're starting to see people get back into the market there. We saw that happen a lot more quickly here in uh, after after 09 where you know i think people realized fairly quickly okay this this is impacting other parts of the world it may have some some uh, ancillary impacts on on my life but other than that you know i'm secure in my job things are going to continue as they were you know i'm going to jump back in so michael we we do have a segment called the five wire will you stick around for that uh sure these were questions we didn't put in uh, the <laughs> advance <laughs> so uh, first question what is your favorite neighborhood in vancouver personally I'd have to say Mount Pleasant, where our office is. I just like the the mix of of businesses there. I like the independent nature of a lot of the businesses there. You don't see a lot of chains. You know, even the restaurants are independent. It you know kind of reminds me of walking in different parts of San Francisco or mm-hmm. New York City, where you just see you know real people who live there wandering the streets and uh, not wandering, but uh, right. but walking down the streets and and working in the neighborhood. As yeah, well. it's kind of an organic uh, yeah. feel to it, right? Yeah. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant in the city? Uh, I'd have to say Tavola's and I always, I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's, uh, down on Robson street, just, uh, west of Denman, fabulous place to go eat family style. You just order a bunch of appetizers and, and, uh, and entrees and share it among all your friends. A great place to go with a, a big group of people. Excellent. Wait, what kind of food? I'm, is that Greek? It's kind food? of a rustic Italian. Rustic yeah, Italian. so it's not uh, it's not fussy. It's if you're familiar with the Nook restaurant, it's the same owners who oh yeah who oh. own the Nook. That's a great stuff. restaurant. Yeah, so. and you finally stumped Braden. He's never been stumped on a restaurant in Vancouver. So <laughs> never I heard hope you I so haven't quiet let a secret out there. <laughs> um, Westside Mansion or downtown Pentos? 
downtown penthouse because I, I'm not a big maintenance guy. So uh, I'd rather spend my time enjoying the city. We've got such a beautiful city and so many things, great things to do here. I'd rather uh, spend my time being able to do that than uh, than in doing the lawn. Not if I had a West Side mansion, I wouldn't be doing my own lawn. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the same token, you know, I don't need that much space to wander around. And I'm a big uh, I'm a big proponent of of only having as much space as you really need. Right. Uh, so you mentioned there's a lot of nice places in Vancouver. First place you bring someone from out of town. I live in Lynn Valley in, in North Vancouver. So I would probably uh, either take them for a hike uh, up one of the North Shore mountains uh, so that they can get uh, an incredible view of our city. Yeah. Uh, and doesn't have to be the gross grind because I hate the gross grind. Um, <laughs> but it could be any any different hikes that we have uh, in, in the region that uh, that where you can get a great view of the city from. You're in good company, Matt, and I hate the girls' yes. cranks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, final question. So from an investment perspective, Calgary or Vancouver right now? I'll, I'll tell you personally that I'm looking more at Calgary simply because from a value perspective, I think there's uh, there's better value to be had there. Uh, certainly you've got, you know, the population growth and the demand here that, you know, will seemingly continue to, to push the uh, the price is up here, but from an affordability perspective and what you can get for your money for me and in, in my current situation and where I'm at as an investor, uh, Calgary makes more sense to me. Perfect. And you were saying before we went live that there's some indications that, you know, it's, it's bottomed out and it's, it's starting. It's yeah. Ascent. Yeah. We've, uh, cause we track that market like we do here. So we do a full sweep of all the actively selling projects there on a quarterly basis. And, and we've seen, you know, the last three quarters, we've seen increases in sales in the Calgary market in different sectors in different times. And it's it's not, you know, it's it's nothing like what we see here. But the fact that we're seeing increased sales volumes on a quarterly basis is is encouraging. We were just there last week for two days and and hearing that, you know, there's still some, you know, some challenges when it comes to the energy sector. And I think the economy there could still use a lot of work in terms of diversifying away from the, the sure. energy mm-hmm. sector. I think it makes a ton of sense as a as a tech hub you've got so much skilled labor there you know the quality of life is great um, and it's a nice city it like, is right by bath the mountains i mean yeah. it, it's, it's a very a and it's a it. it's a very youthful city so you know you go there there's there's you know not as much of a, a real energetic vibe as there was say five six years ago but certainly you know when you go there you you get a sense of of how young it is and and the energy that that brings do you get a sense that Calgarians have kind of embraced condo living in a similar manner than to Vancouver? Yeah, I, you know, it's not as as much of a condo. You know, it's probably where we were twenty years ago. Right. But uh, but I think again, there uh, people there are starting to see as as neighborhoods close to the downtown are evolving. You know, you're you're seeing some of the condos get built, and then you're seeing the businesses follow. Mm-hmm. And as you can see, the vibrancy of the neighborhoods that are around these towers, and and with the businesses that are there, I think people are starting to see the appeal of of uh, you know, much like how we saw Yale Town um, evolve over the years, where initially it was still a lot of you know a tower here or there, and a few mm-hmm. businesses here or there, but still a lot of you know old warehouse type uses. Mm-hmm. But as those disappeared, and you had the parks come in, and more people on the on the street created a real vibrancy that uh, that is hard to resist. Excellent. Well, Michael, maybe we'll leave it there. How can people find out more about you and about Urban Analytics in general? They can uh, go to our website at uh, urbananalytics.ca, and that gives you a rundown of all the services we provide, what we do. You can download our, our quarterly uh, overview of, of the market called the UA Take. 
so the one for the second quarter should be posted hopefully within the next week to 10 days. And that will give them a sense of where we are with respect to supply, demand, standing inventory, inventories in general throughout the market and by submarket and such. So excellent. Fantastic. Well, thanks yeah. so much for your time, Michael. My pleasure. Really thanks appreciate for having it. me. Great. Take care. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Michael Ferreira from Urban Analytics, the managing principal. Matt, super compelling interview. Tons of great information there. I mean, we covered a lot of ground, obviously, but yeah. the myth busting, the investment advice, uh, it, it was all really powerful. No, and the best part about that talk was that he promised he'd come back in the fall. For and, sure. Uh, when he has his annual report and talk talk to us about that. So super exciting to have Michael on the show. Yeah, can't wait to have him back. So Matt, you know, we've been thinking about it. We want to keep with generally speaking the same direction that we've been going, but we have a few new segments that are coming to the podcast. For sure. And we're also going to be having more episodes on investment because we get a lot of emails yeah. and we're having a lot of questions from investors and even just and people I mean, interested in becoming investors right? well that's i it. feel like a lot of the people i'm talking to are like at those beginning stages and you know they're looking for advice and you know some other experiences people that have experience so we're going to move in that direction uh, right for sure and we had an interesting we've like we said we've been meeting a lot about the podcast and coming up with future show ideas and i think you're going to be really excited about this new direction and some of the programs we have coming up because uh the topics are great yeah and but before we go adam we should say a few things one uh had somebody reach out to me this past week Awesome conversation, but one thing came out of it. He said to me, presumably you guys are looking for business. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? We've been doing this. I haven't for, heard this story we've been, yet. We've been doing this for nearly two years. I, you know, we're, we're not known as, uh, you know, uh, being as aggressive as, you know, we want your business, we want your business type guys. We thought it was obvious. I, yeah, I thought it was obvious, but in case we it wasn't, we want your business. <laughs> we want to help you buy real estate. We want to help you sell real estate. Yeah. We love hearing from you. This is what we do, uh, you know. Absolutely, you know the podcast is part of a larger real estate business that Adam and I run together, and we would love to hear from you and help you buy or sell real estate. That is a hundred percent accurate. And I and I should say as well, we, we really what we want to do is just have an engaging dialogue as well. So I mean, reach out to us anytime. Yeah, we're happy to field questions, talk about investment strategies, talk about other markets. And while we're on the topic of that, Matt. One thing that I hope has come across in this podcast is we are constantly talking to people about real estate. So we know the best agents out there. And actually on our next podcast, um, on the next roundtable, we're actually having an agent from New West, top producing agent in who we've known for years, we've worked with for years that we're going to be bringing on. We have agents in every market. So reach yeah. out with us. Well, we're talking to somebody in Hamilton next week. We're talking to people in Edmonton. Uh, I just was on the phone with someone from Calgary. We have Andrew LaFleur and, and his team in Toronto. We've got some of the best people and we've got great trades as great well. Team so up in Squamish, Whistler. It, absolutely. So reach out. If you have any real estate needs whatsoever, get in touch. Give us a call. Shoot us an email. Shoot us a text. Whatever. If you want to chat about the market, fantastic. If you want a great suggestion, we've got them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, finish up with PCS. Finally, PCS, you can go to our website, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. 
dot com slash PCS. You can sign up for the best listings management software on the market. You get realtor level information. You get sold prices in real time. You usually get listing updates about 36 to 72 hours before they hit public MLS. If you're not on PCS, it's free, by the way. If you're not on PCS and you're looking for real estate, you're at a disadvantage. It's it's that simple. Yeah. I mean, it's like, why crawl when you can walk? Because you've had too much to drink. But I watch people <laughs> crawling around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. Why crawl when you can walk? I mean, that's what PCS is. PCS is actually a light sprint. Well, it's, it's real estate. <laughs> it's it's realtor level information, right? And last, if you want it to serve your purposes most accurately, ask us uh, to set it up. To set it up, leave your phone number, and I can call you and make sure that it's showing you the types of properties you want because often, oh, I don't want to miss one. I don't want to miss one. And you keep expanding that search and you got 450 listings. Or alternatively, you do it too tight and and, uh, maybe you miss it because again, the information set up in MLS is only as good as the realtor puts it in. Yeah, exactly. You know, the scum that puts them in. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) but uh, Matt, last final thing is we've had so many updates to the website in the last couple of weeks, yeah. and we've got new posts coming all the time, summaries of past episodes. We've also got the stats. We just put the July stats up. Literally, they came out this morning. Yeah. Go check those out. It's going to be a topic of conversation on the roundtable this uh, upcoming episode. And uh, yeah, check out VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And finally, Matt, how can people reach you? Wait, seven, wait, seven. Wait, wait, hold on. We forgot about a really important piece of information here. Piece wait, of news. Who, who's talking? Who's talking? Oh, Brady D. Brady oh, Brady D. That's Papa, Papa Dom. Dom. Papa Dom. Papa Dom. Yeah. yeah. No, but this isn't about me. This is about it's Matt's birthday today. Oh, it Are we is. We're gonna Matt's. wish him happy birthday. Oh yeah. yeah. It is. Happy, happy. happy 27th. I think yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 yeah no, yeah. I'm. Uh, no, as a real estate agent, I'd like to be a little bit older than 27. That might be a little young for some people. Let's just say you're in the age where you should probably get your prostate checked (laughs) (laughs) i think it's time happy birthday me yeah happy birthday Uh, and and last there was one person who reached out you i thought this was what you were bringing up asking the name of papa dom's baby we i can't believe we didn't uh, oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. right okay daisy grace dikowski nice very nice country singer she's gonna be a country singer fantastic well uh last matt how can people reach you (laughs) did you change your kid's name no why His kids I, always been Daisy Tukowski. Why did I not? Why did I think it was Eleanor? Because uh, that was the other today. option. It was oh, today. anyway, seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com and Adam or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com and Papa Dom Braden at Scalina Real Estate dot com. Okay, thanks. Have a great week, everyone. Take care, guys. Enjoy the sun. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? 
Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 